Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep history alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, ICH researcher with Heritage NL. On today's episode, we talk with Susan Furneaux and Nicole Travers, who are participants of Heritage NL's Mentor Apprentice Program. Mentor Susan Furneaux is a craft educator with post-secondary teaching certification from the Government of Newfoundland and Labrador. She's been working with and extracting local tannin sources for over 30 years in her natural dye practice. Susan began practicing her skill in leather tanning in 2011 and has been traditionally bark tanning and producing viable leather for over five years. Apprentice Nicole Travers is an avid bead artist and has recently expanded her artistic interest into the craft of tanning. She has been tanning fish leathers for over a year, creating fish leather items beaded with traditional Mi'kmaq double curve motifs, petroglyphs, and hieroglyphs. Nicole prides herself on teaching others traditional skills and wants to aid in the revival of bark tanning skins. Hi, Susan and Nicole, and welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Great, thanks. I was wondering if I could get a little bit of background from both of you, just on kind of where you grew up and how you got interested in crafts in general. Okay, so I've been working in uh, textiles for over 30 years. I'm currently a teacher at the College of the North Atlantic in the textiles program. My studio areas, my my own studio areas are very much uh, grounded in traditional practices and um, natural dyes, hand embroideries. Uh, my first love was hand embroidery. Um, so now I'm, I'm uh, branching out and doing hand embroidery techniques with natural materials, local natural materials. And Nicole, how about you? Well, I was, I was raised out on the West Coast, so I'm a little bit further away from Sue. Uh, but I started beading about oh gosh, six, almost seven years ago now. And a couple of years ago, I was introduced to uh, tea tanning skins and I fell right in love with it and wanted to learn more. And mine and Susan's uh, paths crossed and she, I learned that she does some natural dyes and I was really interested in learning more. And uh, Susan was very happy and, and excited to help share some of her knowledge with me, specifically the bark tanning. And, and can you talk to a little bit about how that how that how you guys got in touch how you decided to submit an application and and do the apprenticeship well i asked nicole to come in as a visiting artist to my art history group and do a little bit of uh talking about uh her art and uh do a little bit of beating with the students just so they had some uh you know local perspective indigenous art practices and so she came on that. I had talked to her that we were that when she because she did it on the skin, on the um, bark. And so I talked to her about the fact that I was uh, doing bark tanning. She was doing tea tanning at that time. And I told her I was doing some bark tanning. I wasn't doing fish skin at that time. Uh, I was doing seal and goat and uh, a little bit other a few other things. I had done some fish tanning at uh, but not a whole lot. So we kind of both went, uh, you know, got together after the fact, and then this and ch ch chatted and kept the kind of, you know, conversation going. Um, and then the heritage, um, uh, your heritage group came out about the mentorship program, and we felt it was just the perfect thing um, for us to uh, get together about and start doing. And the timing was great, because I mean, it's very, season specific this technique 
and uh, so so it just all kind of fell into place. And I I had been talking with uh, other people who've been doing bark tanning. I've been researching it for oh gosh about 10, 12 years now. Uh, what people are doing locally, and uh, you know it was very uh, there was very little information out there about it. So uh, the the opportunity to put together a resource with this project so that people could continue on and find information if they wanted to find it was uh, you know a, of real interest to me as well because I had you know found nothing and had go had to go to Europe and look for information there as well as down in the states. And when you when you talk about it being season specific, so for anybody who doesn't know, can you explain a little bit what bark tanning is and why it would be kind of season specific? So you have to gather your bark at a certain time of year, which is the spring. It all kind of falls together in the right kind of, as these things kind of tend to do. So you harvest your uh, bark in the spring, just about the same time as the seal hunt starts, because traditionally it was used as a, you know, for tanning uh, seal skins, if there was any goat skins. It works best on that because they're thin, you know, and, and that's what people had here. Now, obviously in Europe, uh, they did all kinds of different skins with bark, but they would have used oak, but we don't have that here. So when the settlers came over, they, they gravitated towards spruce, alder, birch, whatever was in their area. Um, I use mostly spruce. And uh, so in the spring of the year, uh, you, you, when the sap just starts to rise, uh, you, you fell down your spruce trees and you strip all the bark off. And the bark is very easy to strip off at that time, just peels right off. It's very satisfying. Um, and then you put it in a big drum and I use a black, like you see the bark, the bark, barking kettles around, but you know, I don't, with a, I don't have a barking kettle. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to have one, but I don't. And uh, I just put them in black, um, garbage buckets because the heat of the sun then leaches the tea of the bark out into the into the water and you're making a tea and it kind of ferments down with the same kind of fermentation process as things like pickles or sauerkraut smells wonderful so you let that sit uh, for a really long time uh, probably six weeks and you kind of watch the color that's it's, it's sort of a you you can like obviously there's scientific practice here where you could be testing it with strips and all this kind of thing but I don't I I you know I I tend to watch the color I've done it enough so I you know that's what it's all about for me is the scent the color the whole the feel of it it feels and it's sticky um, you can feel see the the fermentation process happening. Um, and uh, it's funny because a lot of people have said to me, oh, that's terrible. You're cutting down trees to do this. Um, but the trees, because they're felled and they're skinned, they're perfect for fences and fence posts and things. So they don't go to waste. You know, it's not like, you know, and one good size spruce tree can tan a lot of, of skins. Right. So it's not it's not a big waste of a tree. It's. You know, it's a, and it's at the perfect time by the try the tree is dried out. You're ready to build your fences, and you're you're you've got your your seal skin harvested, and and you're ready to put it in the tan, and it all kind of rolls together. You know, it's a lot of work, <laughs> but uh, you know that was it. I love that there's like a cycle to it. Um, you know, you cut your tree, and then you can put up your fence, and it's kind of all very yeah. cir like circular you mentioned kind of what material it was. So are there any particular tools that you need to be able to bark tan? Uh, 
Sure. I don't know. Uh, like you, a draw knife is really good for taking the bark off. Uh, you know, that's the number one thing. Uh, I use, I have a draw knife and I have some blunt objects to help me strip the bark off, spoons, uh, caribou bones, uh, anything at all that is, is blunt because besides using it for the bark, I also make baskets and things and, and use the bark for other materials. So I try to keep it in as big a pieces as I can uh, and take it off nicely. I don't know, Nicole did buy some lovely tools <laughs> for the project. She might be able to speak to her fantastic tools. Yeah, I did because um, <clears throat> I, I, I've been wanting to get into other forms of tanning as well. So these tools can be used like cro uh, and crossover on the different styles for fleshing uh, the hides. So um, I did buy some beaver skinning tools and uh, a beaver skinning knife. And then I also have a fleshing knife. Um, it's very similar to a draw knife, but it's specifically for fleshing hides. Uh, Got to be really careful with that because they can be a little bit sharp. And um, I'm realizing now it's best to buy the double-sided one, which I didn't do. But yeah, there was like Ulu's and then there are some other styles of knives that I have had bought. And they're just, they're also so much fun to work with because many of them are handmade and um I try, and like Sue, I try to keep it as um, environmentally friendly as possible and not use any harsh chemicals. So, I mean, it's a practice right from obtaining your hides and your skins and how they're treated and until you're ready to use them in your art and your craft. I know access to materials was something that came up with the craft at risk kind of research. So can you speak to where you're getting your materials, where you're getting your hides? So myself, uh, I get my hides from the community itself. Um, the, the food fishery is where I get a lot of the cod skins that I use. So I live in a fishing community. It's always been a fishing community and it was settled as a fishing community. So um, I grew up fishing and then now my father's passed away, but my brother-in-law does a lot of fishing. I reach out to community members. Hey, you're getting your fish. Uh, do you fill it and skin them? Yeah, just save me your skins. And I'll don't worry cleaning them. I'll do that all myself. Um, moose season is starting uh, in just a few days, and uh, I've already got two moose hides ready to. So when they're harvested, I'll have two moose hides ready to go. Um, the seal skins that I used for this program this summer were actually ones that had washed ashore and they were, they passed away on their own and they had washed ashore within a couple of uh, hundred yards from my house. So I walked down with my tools and I skinned them right on the beach. The seagulls were quite happy to have a quick access to the meat and all the fat and everything. So then I just froze them and popped them in the freezer. They're also, I also come from a community where there's a lot of hunting and trapping and things and people are getting to, are realizing and, and recognizing, oh, you know, Nicole does a little bit of this. I wonder if she'd like to have a muskrat. I'd like to, I wonder if she'd like to have a beaver and, um, uh, Every once in a while, somebody, somebody will contact me and say, hey, I've got this. Would you like one? Or And, of course, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> the eel skins. I love working with eel skins. And eels in Newfoundland and Labrador and most of Atlantic Canada have, they're on a species at risk, just like the bark tanning is a, is a craft at risk. There's only a couple of places in Newfoundland where you're legally allowed to hunt 
and harvest eels. And one is in Muddy Hole in Flat Bay, where I have a couple of friends and I do a trade with them and they save me their skins and I they get keep the meat and I get the skin sort of thing. Uh, and then the I believe the other place is down in Meopokek, which is Con River, the First Nation down there. That's awesome that you have access to so much material because um, yeah, I know that that can be an issue sometimes. Yeah, I'm pretty fortunate. And Susan, how about you? Are you able to access material? Well? Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of the same. Uh, a lot of food, fishery, skins, restaurants, grocery stores. You know, a lot of people don't want their fish with the skin on, so the grocery store just throws it. Also, when I had my couple of seals that I did, not this year, I didn't have a seal this year, but previous years was people, uh, landsmen who had who brought me uh, seal pelts and um goats uh you know there's a lot of goat around here and on the avalon being butchered now and, and now is sort of the season now i'll start getting a few goat skins goat skin is pretty lovely and you talked a little bit about how you actually start your your tanning process how you actually get the bark and all of that can you talk a little bit about how long that process takes i guess from getting the tree or getting your bark to having a final kind of tanned product so it depends on the the, the skin really so the, t- the tanning solution takes about six weeks to do if you've got seal or something with hair on it that you want to get the hair off to create a leather um, you have to soak that in a pond or a river there are other ways you can do it with lye or things like that to get the hair off but I do it with by soaking it in a pond and what happens is all the little microbes detach the hair from the the follicle from the leather so you can take it out then and you can just scrape the hair right off it's re- again that's another it's a bit smelly but it's satisfying <laughs> so you take that off and then you'd put it in the in your solution now fish skin like the eel for example because uh, nicole gave me a couple of eels which were lovely they sucked up the tannin solution in a week like there was there was no time cod maybe 10 days cod skin the seal i would say that's going to be a three it's been in there now for oh gosh three weeks and i had a look and it's not tanned all the way through so it's going to be another little while right before that is ready um so and and then when this stuff comes out of the tanning solution um i'm going to put in a bare skin so that will probably take a really long time and I'm not sure if it will work or not, but I'm going to give it a go, right? Um, because it is so thick. And the problem with uh, bark tanning is that it may case, right? So that means that the outside tans before the inside tans and the tannins can't get to the inside. So the inside will actually rot over time. But I'm going to give it a go. It's a, it's a young bear, so it should be okay. And I guess this is a question for both of you. Um, once you actually have your tanned skin or your tanned hide, what do you use it for? What what's just your next step after you actually have your hide? Uh, for me, I I just I've got a bunch there now, and I just keep them going. I don't do any really embroidery work until the winter. I'm very much a person of the seasons. I'm collecting now and and tanning, and then when the winter comes, I'll sit down and look at what I got, and they'll be used for uh, backgrounds for embroidery. Uh, you know, it it'll be used or or. Uh, leather in the traditional gold working technique instead of using the the gold leather I'll use fish skin um, which you know is is so I don't have any real plans but they will be used in larger pieces and myself since like getting into larger animals and uh, tanning larger animals um, I've typically only worked with like codfish 
uh, salmon, and then eel skins. And I've turned it into different types of beadwork on them. So it could have been a medallion. I really enjoy doing earrings because I love earrings myself. But I want to get into some larger pieces. When, when you have a larger piece of leather, you can do some larger items. So, oh gosh, the world is my oyster right now. I just, my mind is going and I'm like, okay, let's see what comes out. Maybe I'd like to do a, a little wallet or a card holder or um, incorporate it into a larger piece of clothing. Um, I could incorporate it into a pair of moccasins or... Yeah, just pr pretty much anything. I mean, whatever you could use fabric for, you can use leather for. So I'm just so excited that like <laughs> I've learned this and it's such a great method, but definitely it's a long haul. Like if you don't have patience. It is a long haul. And it's not only the patients. Like when Nicole was out at our place, uh, we sat there and uh, we had a seal on the, on the uh, picnic table and the picnic table we had it laid out and it was so hot and it was just seal oil. And the two of us were almost like, we we're right up to here. And it was just so wonderful. Like, you know, and not everybody is going to like to do that. <laughs> right. Go elbows deep in, in the oil. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Not. <laughs> and, uh, but it was wonderful. You know, the whole process is lovely. Right. And yeah. the thing is the only thing that you add to this whole process besides your spruce bark is a little bit of salt. Right. That's it. And there's, so there's no, chemicals the, everything can be composted everything even the articles of that you make can be composted it is so um, natural and lovely and every different kind of bark that you use creates different properties in the leather so so I planted oak trees where I live so I could do oak tanning now I did give some too she wasn't so happy about that I don't mind it <laughs> but uh, it, it has a different odor for sure but it gives you a different color on the on the hide as well right it's a, it's a golden color and um, then if you use alder, it's a different scent as well. I love the scent of alder as well, but the, the hide is more brittle. So it's, it, and it's a different color, but it's, so it's fine for different things. Like everything can give, will, every type of bark and every type of tannin will give you a different property and a different color. So it's, it's really with, without use of anything, nothing. I mean, even in natural dye, we use mordants and things to shift the color or attach the color to the cloth. But in, in bark tanning, there's nothing it's just totally uh salt and 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 bark that's it now i'm going to ask a hard question and either one of you can answer it um whoever wants to respond um but what makes something like a good what makes a good bark tanned product i have uh, we ha like i've had a bit of a problem this year because it's been so warm right uh so getting the the hair off the seal ended up with some of the seal being not great but those little pieces that were fine are fine. I, ha I haven't, there, there was one, I left a couple of pieces of uh, skin last year in the tanning over the winter because I miss them. So they froze and they thawed and they froze and they thawed. And when I dumped out my bark tan, here was these two or three little pieces of fish skin. So I took those out and I really worked them and said, my gosh, they got to be rotten. And they were fine. And they had a different texture, you know, so depending on what it is you're looking for, if you're trying to tan stuff to make purses, which is I, I do do that with some of my bark pieces, 
you got to be, you know, like, obviously, you've got to have good quality large pieces. But even if so stuff happens, like you get uh, something happen with your skin, or there's a big hole in it, because something had happened to the animal or whatever, right? You still have that opportunity to use that skin. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a complete washout for sure. And I think that uh, for the bark tanning, because it is, there's, there's a lot of variables as with weaving. I mean, there's a lot of variables with weaving. It's totally dependent on what it is you want. You know, I would never, I don't think, and I, you know, maybe I would have taken it on years ago, but right now I, I can't see myself making large coats or anything with, with large pieces of leather. So a good piece of leather to me is a piece that, you know, it could be as small as two by two inches because I can use that in an embroidery. So I think it just really varies as to what it is you're, you you want to use it for. As with weaving, you know, like certain cloth has certain properties and certain leather has certain properties. And I want to ask, because I know you don't live in the same area, how did you work your apprenticeship? How, what did you, did you travel to be in the same place? Can you just talk to the apprenticeship a little bit? So initially, like we, there was lots of conversations happening on Facebook and some FaceTime and then or messenger, I guess, but uh, some phone calls. Sue was like, OK, so this weekend together, but on opposite ends of the province, you're going to fell your trees. I'll fell mine and we'll get our our tannins or our teas, get it, get it ready. And I'm sure. Great. Okay. Let's go. So that's what we did. And then a few weeks later, I went down and visited Sue at her studio in her house and uh, spent the day with her. And this is when I brought down uh, some frozen seal skins and some rabbit. And what else did I bring down? Oh, think, all kinds of great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> tuna. <laughs> tuna. Oh, right, right, right. Tuna. And, um, <laughs> So we sat down, we went through some of it, we salted some of it because we wanted to try with fur on, fur off. We're really expanding some, uh, doing some experiments there or, or opportunities to see what happens. And uh, then I'd go home again and do some work here and I'd let it sit and play and then go back and forth a couple of times. And I think, uh, yeah, Sue was planning to come up to visit me now when when we're just about ready to pull some of the stuff out. Yeah. So on the long weekend in October, I'm going to head out because a lot will be done by then. And we can sit down and really look at what it is we've got, take some pictures, look at the different things. I also did a residency this summer in Ireland. So I, I talked to some tanners over there and I, I did some uh, bark tanning with the oak over there. Um, and so, but I'm using leaves. I don't, my, I don't want to cut down my trees, but they, they cut down trees like oak trees, like nothing. So I used bark over there. Um, so, I, you know, all those things, we can sit down and take pictures, make a great document. And also uh, Nicole was interested in the natural dyeing of the fish skins. So for me, I'm really interested in what, how the color is as it comes out. I'm not that interested in, in dyeing it at this point, but I have been doing some samples so we can, I can go over that with her and, you know, figure that out, right, fairly easily. So I've been doing that as well. I've got some really beautiful uh, fishkins and some gut, because I do a lot of gut work as well, um, that's dyed with my fresh leaf indigo. So that was very exciting. It yeah, sounds like so. it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, and sheep gut, which is very bizarre. But anyways, it'll be fun anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
and I guess um, this can go to Nicole or to Susan. Um, I'm just wondering what kind of what kind of skills and knowledge do you need to be able to to bark tan? I think your skills, if you can't like if if you can't follow a tree, that's fine. You're probably going to know somebody who can. Uh, don't doing a little bit of physical labor because it is it is physically some of it is physically challenging. Don't. Uh, have a problem getting your hands dirty. <laughs> dirty is probably the biggest thing. Cause I remember when we pulled the seal out of the, out of the pond there, it was like, Oh, okay. I was not expecting this. Um, and like, that was, I was like, Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. But <laughs> it was, it was, uh, and not to mind a few little smells, the smells, once you get through it, like once I degreased my seal before I popped it into the thing, it was, I sat there for hours and just gently washed it and washed it to get the, the oil out so that the tannins could soak into the hide. And it was almost like a meditation because you, you don't, you just, I completely dissociated from whatever was around me. And I just sat down and enjoyed it. So if you don't mind doing that stuff, you'll get through it. Not a problem. It's pretty, it's pretty easy. So the biggest things, a little bit of physical labor and a little bit of smell, yeah. a little bit of dirt. And I, I find anybody who's interested in stuff is the kind of person usually who's not going to mind that kind of thing. You know, like somebody who's put off by animal bits and pieces is usually not going to gravitate towards this at all, you know? So it, it's, and I asked Nicole to do, cause I always say things are easy and people go, Oh, you know, you've done that for 30 years. That's not true, <laughs> but it is right. It is a very basic process, right? It is, there is science involved and the science is kind of complicated, but uh, you don't need to know all that, you know? Uh, it's like knitting. You don't need to know the physics of knitting, right? Or the physics of spinning. It's good to have it, but in, at, at the very base level, it's it's a magical process that happens because of science very simply. And I guess this is one again for both of you, but why is bark tanning important? Why is it an important tradition? And, and why do you think it needs to be continue to be passed on? I mean, it's been used, it's, it's used all across the world. It's a method that's been used for a millennia. I remember hearing about the the old Kamex, uh, you know, the, the seal skin Kamex and, and things. And there's a, they still do them, I think, in the Northern Peninsula. And, but also it's the fact of a method that is easy on the environment. It's not going to contaminate the, the water. It's not going to contaminate the earth. And like Sue said earlier, like if you lose it, if it falls out, once it's done, it's just going to biodegrade and go right back to the earth again. And for me, that's important. And that's important to me as well. But uh, besides all that, I believe that, you know, mega projects are not the future in Newfoundland and Labrador, right? The mega projects are not. And I feel that, you know, there's cod skin is a wasted resource here. Uh, yes, we have Carino for sure doing the seal skins, but that's a lot of chemicals as well. Um, there's a lot of goat skins going back into the landfills. And, you know, this is a, a way that people can contribute personally or small scale industry could start up not, somewhat like Joey's big dream, I suppose, but it doesn't have to be. You know, there's people making dog treats now with fish skin. The next big thing, you know, the next logical step is to take that and make that a manageable project product like they do in Iceland. 
And Iceland has been quite successful. And it could not only be cod skin, it can be eel, it could be tuna, it can be halibut, it could be turbot, all those skins that are presently now just a waste product with very little, you know, some equipment, but not a lot. And, uh, you know, sustainable resources could certainly become a, a viable small industry, right here in the province. I think that's about it for my questions. Is there anything that you want to add? Anything that I didn't ask about that you'd like to touch on? No, I don't think so. I think that, you know, we're, we're myself and Nicole are pretty committed to creating a document uh, that can be used by people fairly easily to, to continue on with this themselves. Um, so, you know, if anybody does have an interest in that, they could reach out to one of us and we could certainly make sure they got a copy of that document, you know? And if you go about that, certainly let Heritage NL know because we'll, we'll share it and try and get people yeah. to, you know, yeah. get it out there so that people know that it's a resource because, um, yeah, bark tanning is something that uh, we've done some research on and I know is one of the, the, like you said, kind of right off the top is one that there's not much resources or, or material on in the province. So And it's so easy, you know, and can be done in a, in a apartment as easily as what it can be in a, in a big industrial setting. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>